0: Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Live Wire Radio. We're backstage at Lincoln Hall on the campus of Portland State University, and we have got a great show for you. Shane Torres is here, hilarious comedian. We've also got music from Modern Kin. And this guy, one of the smartest people I know, which works because our theme for this show is Get Smart, Dan... Savage. You have to meet more people <laughs> if I'm one of the smartest people you know. Were you immediately good at giving people sex and relationship advice, or were you bad out of the gate?
1: I was bad out of the gate with the column. It was just a joke at first. I was going to treat straight people and straight sex with the same contempt and revulsion that straight advice columnists had always treated gay people and gay sex with. So just the first two years of just me making fun of straight sex and going, ew, yuck, people really do that? Disgusting. But the questions kept coming. It was new to them to be treated with contempt and revulsion. And and They really liked it. Do you plan on treating our crowd with contempt and revulsion? Is that kind of your shtick now? It's carried me this far. <laughs> All right,
0: well, let's see if it carries us out onto the stage. <laughs> let's get going with this episode of Livewire. Let's get out on that stage and do the
2: show. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Live! Yes, it's Livewire Radio from Lincoln Hall in Portland, Oregon with author and relationship columnist Dan Savage, comic Shane Torres, and music from Modern Kin. All that, was comedy from our troupe, Alive With Pleasure, and our house band, led by Mr. Jim Brunberg. And now, the host of Livewire. What he lacks in higher education, he more than makes up for in street smarts. And by street smarts, I mean knife fighting. Luke Burbank!
0: Thank you. Thank you, Andrew Harris. Thank you all for being here. We are so excited to be here on the campus of Portland State University in Portland, Oregon with all of you. We are titling this hour, Get Smart. We're talking about trying to get smarter this hour and I have to say I've been getting a little bit of an education this past week about how much people don't like it if you go on CBS television and tell them that their favorite pastime, in this case, video game playing, is not necessarily for you. We have a gamer over there, allergic to even hearing me (laughs) mention this commentary. So this is what happened. Uh, This last week, I recorded a TV commentary for CBS Sunday Morning. And uh, basically what I said in the commentary was that I was personally kind of confused about why uh, somebody would wanna watch somebody else play video games. And then the other thing I said was, uh, I think personally that the real world is probably more interesting than video games. So it's pretty inflammatory stuff. Um, (laughs) And I was thinking, it's like, this is CBS TV at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Maybe my grandmother will see this if she's not hungover. (laughs) But, like, no gamers are going to see this or care about this. And it turns out they did, and they really cared about it. And I got this week... I'm being serious when I say, in the thousands of tweets trying to educate me on just how wrong I was. And I actually, uh, I printed a couple of them out. I grabbed these this morning pretty much at random, and I thought I would just share them uh, with you here at the top of the show. P. Scott Patterson said, your childhood trauma surrounding video games do not excuse your pompous, condescending, and disconnected commentary. Good to see you, P. Scott Patterson. Glad you're um, able to make it tonight. Uh, somebody at Duck Sauce TV said, I have seen the light. Now I want to be a condescending know it all in the real world, just like you, Luke. Which is a pretty good burn. Um, uh, 5901K said, Hey, Luke Burbank, I heard Hitler wasn't very good at video games either. Which, he was notoriously bad at video games, in fairness to. That person. Um, somebody called Josh Stowers said, uh, Luke Burbank, idiot, you can't even get past level one of the real life game. <laughs> Which I think I might have retweeted because that was actually a pretty good burn. And um, a guy named Mr. Marino 98 sent this uh, via Twitter in Spanish. Muerte uh, de cancer, hijo de p***a, y deja y echar which I had to plug into Google Translation. Uh, and it said, uh, die of cancer, prostitute's son, and stop throwing shit. <laughs> So I, I guess what I, what I want to say to, to Mr. Marino98 and all the other helpful people who were trying to educate me on this, I, I see your point, okay? I mean, here I was thinking that you guys were taking these video games a little too seriously. But it's clear that I was wrong, and I, I want to apologize to you right here on Live Wire Radio. All right. With that out of the way, let's, uh, let's get your first guest out here. The winner of 2013's Funniest Person in Portland title, Shane Torres's brutally honest jokes about the personal devastation of being fired from Kinko's and also of selling his plasma. Those tend to happen on or near the same day, by the way, usually. Those stories have earned him spots on NBC's Last Comic Standing and Comedy Central's list of comics to watch. Please welcome a self-described Native American meatloaf impersonator, Shane Torres, to LiveWider.
3: Thank you, all
4: uh, Yeah, um, let's start with a joke. I... Uh, I was at the, the post office uh, uh, with my, uh, like nine months ago, with my then, mo- then girlfriend, now enemy. And we were sitting there, and there are all these people in line, and, and they all have packages during the holidays. And this guy walks in, and he sees the line. And I swear to Christ, this is exactly what he does when he sees the line. Uh, and then this came out of his face. Excuse me, everyone. Go on. Make it good. I just need to mail something. It's what this guy screamed in a godforsaken post office. And everybody in line just looked at one another and were like, Are you an only child? Jesus, you're the most homeschooled person ever, aren't you? Do you guys remember your first homeschool kid? Jesus, they were weird. Uh, Because they're so weird because, like, you know, they're only socialized through weird church groups and stuff, and they just walk out of a house in your neighborhood you thought no kids lived in one day. You know, and they just walk up to you and they say something super strange, like, my name's Baxter, and my dad puts honey in my milk, or weird stuff. Because they act exactly the way... An alien would act if they took over a human's body. <laughs> like, they kind of get it, you know? Like, but, like, if you watch them from a distance, you're like, yeah, that one's eating cereal with a fork. Like, I knew it. <laughs> I, uh, I thought uh, that uh, that young woman I was with uh, and I had a good relationship, but it turns out we just didn't have a bad one. Do you understand that the absence of bad is not the presence of good in a relationship? You can't, if you find yourself saying things like, I never cheated on her. I don't know why she left. Like, that's not good enough. <laughs> like, better than not abusive is not good enough. Um, uh, but we met for a drink, uh, like, three days ago, because uh, I'm, I'm moving. And uh, meeting for a drink with your ex is, like, about as much fun as a Christian haunted house. It, uh, <laughs> it sucks. Yeah uh, Because, like they want closure, you know, And uh, uh, you realize in the middle of your drink, if you could provide closure, you would not need to have this conversation. Uh, so it doesn't work. You guys ever buy a bottle, of your ex-girlfriend's shampoo? <laughs> Wash your hair with it. And then sit around and smell yourself? <laughs> Me neither. That'd be weird. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I've been fired a lot. Uh, you can tell because I dress like a poor person on their way to court. <laughs> but uh, one time I saw a guy get fired, and it was the best firing in the history of mankind. I was working at a restaurant, and this manager, Pat, and this waiter, Richard, got in a huge argument on the dining room floor and they were screaming back and forth until finally the manager pat just goes all right richard get the hell out you're fired and richard just yelled back without missing a single beat i don't need this damn job i sell coke <laughs> which is the best way ever to quit your job but like, forget your reference i'm in the dope game now son just like, a ah. richard's going to be all right uh He wasn't, though. He got shot. Uh, Thank y'all very much for listening. I appreciate it. I'm Shane Torres.
0: That was comic Shane Torres. You are listening to Live Wire Radio from PRI Public Radio International, the radio show that got our degree the hard way hung over and by the skin of our teeth. Because they don't just hand out bachelors of arts in Peruvian face painting to anybody who falls off the turnip truck, people. We will be right back. The Livewire podcast is sponsored by Ergo Depot, letting you know you don't have to feel guilty for sitting all day, largely because you don't have to sit all day. Studies show that getting up and moving around for even a few minutes every hour makes a huge difference for your spine and cardiovascular health. Also, if you're away from your computer screen it's significantly harder to Facebook stalk your ex. So that's kind of a win-win. To find furniture that improves your back health and your psychological health, visit ErgoDepot.com.
2: Welcome back to Live Wire Radio. Uh, Professor Cornwallis? Yes, what
5: is it? Are you the boy who delivers the lunch? Uh, no, sir. My name is Milo North. I'm one of your philosophy students.
2: So, do you have my sandwich, or...
5: No, uh, um, I'm actually having some trouble with my dissertation, sir. I was hoping you could help.
2: By all means, young man, I may be the head of the philosophy department at a major university, but I always have time to help literally anyone with any problem. Thanks. Judging by your terrible haircut, this has something to do with post-colonial existentialism
5: and my close... Yes, exactly. I- I'm contrasting Heidegger's archetypal construction of self with Kierkegaard's concept of hidden inwardness. But I'm running into some trouble getting the thought experiments to mesh.
2: I'm going to say interesting right now, but you shouldn't take that as an authentic declaration of interest. <laughs>
5: uh, well, I guess my question is, sir, if self is the center of perception and a view... All right, exper- I'm
2: going to stop you right there and answer your question with a question. What if they kissed?
5: If, if they... if they kissed?
2: On a rooftop in the pouring rain. Uh,
5: um, how does that... Damn it, ha- Men, do I have to spell it out
2: for you? Heidegger's just gotten fired from his job at the department store when he encounters Soren Kierkegaard on the roof of an abandoned sugar factory in Williamsburg. At first, they're angry with one another, but then... Anger turns to longing, and longing turns to rough kissing as the sky opens up around them in a torrential downpour. Uh, I don't understand. Do you not understand how hot that is? Plastered hair, clinging fabric, unspoken desires made real.
5: How's that for hidden inwardness? Well, it's really romantic, sir, but it doesn't have anything to do with philosophy. Uh, okay, All right. comedy then. So Heidegger and Kierkegaard
2: get kicked out of their apartment and they have to dress up and drag in order to stay at their foxy friend's all-female dorm. Um, isn't that bosom buddies? I'd take a hundred bosom buddies over another insipid undergraduate dissertation. Have you ever actually read one of those? No, 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 of course not. You just churn them out like it was your job or something.
5: Well, it kind of is my job, sir.
2: Look, have you ever actually watched bosom buddies?
5: Yeah, I guess, on
2: reruns I mean really watched it Because I had not I never watched anything fun Because I'm the head of a philosophy department But then I was stuck in line at the grocery store And the oaf in front of me had Gilmore Girls on his iPad at full volume And my God There's a whole world out there and it's, it's not even just Gilmore Girls. There's Allie McBeal and, and, and Rizzoli and Isles. A whole world of kissing and hilarious misunderstandings. And we're sitting in here wasting our good years on objective constructivism. Philosophy is boring. And kissing is awesome. But, Professor... I saw that on a t-shirt. Have you ever worn a t-shirt? They're amazing.
5: I... This really isn't helping my dissertation. Do you think Rory Gilmore would be worrying about her dissertation
2: right now? Or would she be kissing Dean Forrester in the loft of an old Connecticut
5: barn? Okay, wait, Connecticut. Uh, so what you're saying here is that I should draw a link to the late 19th century New England materialists. That's brilliant, sir. I hadn't made that connection, but now it seems so obvious.
2: Look, if you can't see the dramatic possibilities of having a unisex bathroom at a law firm, then I can't help you. But if you're serious about the study of philosophy, then watch season two of Judging Amy tonight. Can I
5: get that on Amazon Prime?
2: Or Hulu does... Plus! Now get out of my office!
0: That was Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, where you can find meat that's free of antibiotics, hormones, and nitrates, because like most people, we just like meat in our meat. Whole Foods Market, eat as promised. More information can be found at eataspromised.com. Our musical guest tonight features lead singer Drew Groh's lyrical gymnastics and songs that he claims celebrate the primitive thrill of being loud when you're expected to be quiet a thrill experience by every toddler that's ever been on an airplane. <laughs> Here with songs from the recently released album Live from the Banana Stand, please welcome Modern Kin to Live Wire. <laughs> Hi there. How's it going? So your, your new record is Live from the Banana Stand. Please tell me that is an Arrested Development reference.
3: Apparently it is, although I had to look it up myself. We, it's not our actually our record title alone it's actually there's a house in southeast Portland that uh-huh. they call themselves the banana stand and they do these house parties in the basement there and uh, they're really great sweaty affairs and, uh, and they record the music and record video and then, uh, and then release live records so it's uh, a live record that's a follow up to our studio record so it is a Arrested Development reference but it's not ours Well, you should just be told you should take possession of that
0: because you are cursed to have people every time they come up to a show now quote that show to you. It's like naming your your album, Luke, I'm Your Father, but not knowing there's a movie called Star Wars.
3: I've heard of this. Yeah. (laughs) What what song are we going to hear? The song's called Abandon.
0: And what was the what was the creation of this song story? How did it come together?
3: Uh, we actually are a pretty new band, and in the transition, we'd played in a previous band. Yeah, Drew Grow and the Pastors, correct? Yeah, that's right, Pastors' Wives. This <laughs> is a bunch of dudes originally, that's ironic. Come on, guys. Uh, <laughs>
0: There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs>
3: that's, that's,
0: Just get used to um, loving <laughs> that joke, even if it's not yours, because it's going to come up a lot. But, so, So, yeah, how did you guys come up with this particular song?
3: So, the last record had a lot more songs that were kind of um, songwriter constructed songs in a more traditional form. And this one, when we went to write, we were playing um, a lot together and thinking about inventing kind of a new direction. Um, And I was listening a lot to to music that was sort of changing my thoughts about what was possible. And uh, we kind of based this around kind of like a Groove, and then um, I just kind of spit some lyrics over it, and that was a new kind of thing for us. And um, we've done a lot of improvising together, but out of that come, came this song.
0: All right, well, let's take a listen to this. This is Modern Kin on Livewire. Yeah.
3: yeah. Come
0: here on Live Wire Radio. Their latest album, whether they like it or not, is live from the banana stand. Live Wire Radio comes to you by way of PRI. We record in Portland, Oregon, where a degree in economics, architecture, or earth science will definitely land you a morning shift at a mid-range coffee emporium. So we got that going for us. Hey, it's Luke. Just a heads up that our next segment has some pretty frank conversations about adult kind of stuff. So if you have kids in the car and you don't want to spend the rest of the drive explaining the birds and the bees, this might be a good time to turn your radio down for about 15 minutes. Thanks. Dan Savage is an author, activist, and the creator of the hugely successful It Gets Better campaign, which now has over 50,000 videos posted. They're aimed at fighting LGBT youth suicide, so that's probably the best thing he's done. The second best thing he's done, though, is to eliminate the need for us to ask our friends and co-workers super embarrassing sex questions. Since all of that is covered in his delightful and informative Savage Love column and podcast, if you have anything you think might be infected, please just come down to the front of the stage and form a line while we welcome Dan Savage to Live Wire. Hi there, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me back. Uh, We are very, very excited that you're here. Uh, We're at a college campus. I know that you are a very important part of a lot of uh, young people, people in college kind of getting smart when it comes to (laughs) their understanding of sex and how, how people relate to each other and what is okay and what isn't okay. How it actually works. I wanted to go through some of these terms, Dan, that you've sort of coined over the years through Savage Love and
1: also your books. Uh, What is the campsite rule? Uh, Well, sometimes people get involved in relationships with a big age difference, a a much younger person with a much older person. I don't think those relationships are always exploitative. And the campsite rule basically says uh, that you need to leave that person in better shape than you found them. That's what we say about camping, leave the campsite in better shape than you found it. (laughs) So if, you know, you can acknowledge that this isn't a relationship for life, but we're going to have a good time, and it's going to be mutually beneficial, and you leave that person without any, you know, without lying to them, without diseases or unplanned pregnancies or uh, egregious broken hearts, sometimes there's going to be broken hearts, you obeyed the campsite rule, and that's okay.
0: Now, but I mean, shouldn't everybody uh, sort of obey that rule? Like, whether they're the same age, what is different about relationships where there's a large age difference?
1: I think every, that's a point a lot of people make after I, made after I coined that expression, and it is true, everybody should try to leave everybody they're with in better shape, but I think when there's a big age gap, it's particularly crucial. Because if you're really awful to someone who's 20, uh, or you know, much younger than you are, and you're dating that person, you're really, you can really screw up the rest of their romantic life. Uh, Somebody who has more experience may be able to uh, keep in perspective one bad experience, but if you're their first experience and you're awful, you're really going to mess him up, so you really need to bear that in mind and honor and obey the campsite rule. And there's also the flip side of the campsite rule, which is the tea and sympathy rule, which is for the younger partner, which is from that classic American play, Tea and Sympathy, where the character who's going to sleep with take the virginity of this boy, uh, a female uh, teacher, I think, or the teacher's wife, is going to take this boy's virginity to protect him from these bullies at school who think he's gay, so she's going to sleep with him, take yeah, one for the team. That'll fix him. It will, <laughs> Uh, and she says to him right before they go to bed, when you speak of this in the future, and you will, be kind. And that's the tea and sympathy rule for the younger partner. Now, where does Be Kind Rewind
0: fit in, <laughs> in any of this? Is that a thing? Because it just sounds That's like when he wanted
1: be. to do it again I afterwards.
0: See. <laughs> Let me ask you about that, and this is not on the plan for the night, and I don't want to put you in a a weird place, but it seems like there are so many stories in the news of late about relationships at schools, typically between male students who are younger, female students, or female teachers, rather, who are much older, and the debate rages on, is it actually the same? Because a lot of straight guys see that story and they think, why was I not living in that
1: Van Halen video? (sighs) When I was in high school, a lot of things have to be taken into consideration. Um, you know, there's a power uh, imbalance there that, that that is wrong. I believe this teacher should be fired. Um, but uh, penetration—not to get too graphic—but penetration is uh, this is all of...
0: going to be covered on a Prairie Home Companion in like two <laughs> hours. So let's just give them a preview. Uh,
1: you know the, the the recent case of the the guy, the, the teenager who was having a sixteen seventeen year old kid who was having three ways with two adult female teachers who are in their early twenties, mid and early twenties, and he was so scarred and damaged by this that he they've got caught because he was bragging to everyone about it and boasting about it, and that's how the news got around. And so I don't think that in every instance that the person who was statutorily raped was harm necessarily I was 15 years old when I lost my virginity to a 22 year old woman and I am fine according to me there might be some you seem to be observing
0: the tea and sympathy rule which is good
1: yeah uh, thank you thank you Wendy wherever you are today what does uh, monogamish mean? Another thing that you've talked about a lot with Savage it's a Love, coin I term to describe my relationship with my husband, mm-hmm. um, because we're not monogamous, but as a gay couple, when you say you're not monogamous, even other gay people presume a level of promiscuity that just isn't true of our lives and uh, really didn't reflect how we felt or what we did, and we are mostly monogamous, but we're not technically totally monogamous, so we're monogamish. There's a little squish in there, but we're mostly monogamous, but not monogamish. And a lot of people are monogamish. And the, I've been really proud of how that term's been embraced by so many straight people. It doesn't mean that you're in an open relationship necessarily, or anything goes, or you're polyamorous. It just means you have an understanding about occasionally other things might happen. People might get crushes, or maybe you have the occasional three-way or a make-out session, and that's okay. You're 99% monogamous and 1%-ish. Is that... Is that something that you think we will tend to evolve more into yes, in the future of the species? Absolutely, we already are. Um, we're seeing it happen now. Uh, for all of recorded human history until about 50, 60 years ago, men were not expected to be monogamous. Monogamy was for women. It was part of owning women and controlling women. And 50, 60, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, when the culture shifted and decided that marriage, these relationships, had to be more egalitarian and fair, rather than extending to women the same license that men had always enjoyed, we imposed on men the same limitation, the monogamous expectation, that women had always endured. And it's been a disaster for marriage. Everybody likes to point to, like, oh, here comes the pill, and that correlates so strongly with the rise of divorce. You know what correlates perfectly with the rise of divorce? Monogamous. Monogamy being imposed on both partners in the marriage and being the default expectation. And it, is, it has been a disaster. People are bad at monogamy. And yet we do have, a lot of us anyway, this strong feeling of wanting to be
0: with somebody and wanting there to be a monogamy there, a trust, all of those things. I mean, a lot of that seems to be pretty to some degree, hardwired into us.
1: Right. And also people want to have passionate hot sex all their lives uh, with one other person. And we know that the longer with one person, uh, that that kind of passion and intensity wanes, that the companionship, uh, the intimacy, the familiarity, the comfort, the security, all of that is the enemy of passion and desire. But we are wired to also want that passion and desire. So how do we have both in our lives. And people do want both. And people will scuttle their relationships and their marriages to get it, to to get a little taste of that excitement again. And we should be asking ourselves, well, how can we have that security commitment uh, long-term thing and also accommodate this need that we all have for a little variety and excitement? And we should ask that of ourselves even if we're going to try to be monogamous. Like, What could that look like in our lives to maintain this monogamous commitment, but also acknowledge this desire for variety, difference, new experiences risk how do we build that into our monogamous commitment but you have to acknowledge that monogamy is not something that we're good at it's like asking someone to stand on one foot for 50 years and if somebody you know if that person touches the ground two or three times with their other foot to get their balance again they were pretty good at standing on one foot but we say that if you're monogamous and you cheated even once you're terrible at monogamy and we need to say no if you're Made a monogamous commitment, you're with somebody 50 years, you only cheated once or twice, you're only cheated on once or twice, you guys were really good at that monogamy crap. Hmm. This is the part of the conversation Garrison Keillor is going to disagree with, but (laughs) Uh, how many many times has Garrison Keillor been married? A great question. I don't know. Two or three times. What we have now is serial monogamy, where once people reach that state of boredom, they end the marriage, end the relationship, and find someone new and exciting, and then commit and go through that same process all over again. People who are exploring non-monogamy or open or poly or monogamish are finding is you can keep the commitment and you can get a little bit of excitement without having to end the relationship and start a new one. And isn't that more committed than... Committed until I'm bored, end it. Find a new one. Hey, this is Live Wire Radio. We're talking to Dan Savage from <laughs>
0: Savage Love Podcast and the column in many books. Um, the, the language that now surrounds uh, gender and how people identify in their gender has become uh, pretty complicated at this point. And I'd heard that you were actually involved in a conversation where in just trying to talk about what are the terms that we use? You, you managed to offend somebody. Everybody. I mean, I'm curious, how do, we, how do we talk? It's good that we are now trying to be more nuanced with these things, and yet it seems like there are so many ways that the uh, conversation can just hit a roadblock just because of the wrong terminology, in particular when I think of, of, of gender descriptions.
1: Agender, gender, genderqueer, trans and on and on and on, and it wouldn't be a problem if there weren't some game-playing nutjobs who just lay in wait until you use the wrong pronoun, you say that they were agender, when they're actually bigender or gender fluid, and they explode at you. Um, These people uh, who who play this game are not the face and should not be the face of the trans movement or the increasing awareness of uh, gender differences. They're just some very special snowflakes who need attention and want to get it negatively. Have you run into this? Is, oh, that, where, yes is, that, I is have. that what I'm hearing in your, yeah. in e- your answer even, there? Even I had this uh, exchange with somebody who, uh, you know, there's this whole, everybody gets to choose their own pronouns now, your own pronoun preferences. And my pronouns are Z, Zem, and Zur, or Dis, Dat, and Dother, or whatever. Please, and- Zur was my father. <laughs> Call me Randy. <laughs> And I I had an exchange with somebody whose personal pronoun preference was it, which is an anti-trans term. It's an anti-trans hate speech to call somebody it, to call them a thing. And this trans person's personal pronoun preference was an anti-trans slur. And if another trans person should overhear you using that pronoun without the context of it being this person's preferred pronoun preference, they would think that you were engaged in anti-trans hate speech. And that kind of bizarro world stuff is just causing a lot of people to back away from the people having this discussion. Well, how do we move forward then, not
0: just with the conversation about trans people, but just generally, because thankfully, more people have a seat at the table, more people are allowed to say, hey, that wasn't, I didn't appreciate how that was said, or how I was, uh, people like me maybe were portrayed for all these years in various circumstances. How do we move forward when so many people now have a say, and, and so often, it seems like that's it's good that we white men are having this conversation well, yes, up here mean, on the tonight. <laughs> I was saying to somebody backstage, like, I'm a white guy in a suit. I'm, I'm going into a room of white male privilege you guys don't even know about. <laughs> like, you get into the white male privilege room and they open a smaller door if you're in this suit and then you climb in. So, yes, we're maybe not the best people to be talking about this. But I guess what I'm trying to ask is, for so many people that I know and of which I count myself to some degree, you want to have conversations about... The world and about sexuality and about how we should be treating each other and yet also it seems like there's so many cases where you're stepping on somebody's toes or it just becomes exhausting basically is what i'm trying to say
1: right and i think the point there's so much ferment in the the trans and gender uh, space right now uh including defining terms and coming to all these new sorts of realizations and hashing it all out we haven't had this conversation before so i think the thing to do right now is kind of like sit back and listen Rather than trying to figure mm-hmm. out what exactly you're supposed to say and how you're supposed to say it, and just let the conversation that these people who are in it and living it are having unfold, and there will be some finality. And those of us who aren't part of those communities or gender difference communities will get the memo eventually when they've come to some sort of synod, Vatican synod, on mm-hmm. what the proper terms are and however one, what language everyone's comfortable with. We'll but look for, for now, the let's smoke hang back and, then and we'll listen. Know right. What
0: the what the rules are. All right. Uh, we actually wanted to ask you because you're America's number one sex advice columnist. We wanted to ask you some questions and have the audience submit their, their queries, but we remembered that this is, in fact, public radio, and the station in Duluth is already going to take us off the air if I... Because of the For everything Garrison that's Keeler. already happened this hour. So we thought maybe we should get some tamer questions. We'd get them submitted by kids in the audience and some kids that the staff of Livewire knows. So I wanted to fire a couple of these questions at you. Do you feel comfortable Absolutely. answering those yeah. questions? All right. Um... Uh, Tyler, H five, asks, uh, if you love someone a lot, can you turn them into an animal like a wolf or a koala?
1: Yes, you can. There is a whole community of furries and (laughs) people who engage in pup play and mascot play. So you're on to something, Tyler, and your parents are going to want to keep an eye on you. Okay. Uh, This question was actually submitted by a parent,
0: but it's in regards to uh, uh, her son. Uh, Rowan age 7, uh, asked apparently his mother, Mommy, what grows in my nuts?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> See, this is one of those questions that you really... When you have a kid, and I have, I have a son, although he's too old to lie to anymore, you really want to lie to him. You really want to say, frozen yogurt. <laughs> Because then when he's 13, he's going to go, oh, my God, she was right.
0: Um, And then last one uh, for Dan Savage. Rosie, age 10, uh, asked, I have a crush on a boy in my fifth grade class, but he hates me and he's a (laughs) What should I do? How old was this person? Uh, Age 10, Rosie, age 10.
1: Oh you should enjoy the feeling, enjoy the crush. It just means that you're capable of forming these sorts of attachments, and one day you will meet somebody who's not a d- bag who returns uh, your feelings and it will be better. But in the meantime, just accept that this isn't going to work out and that 's for the best because you don't want to be with somebody who's a d- bag who is mean to you um, unless you're into that sort of thing right, which is are. okay, which is possibly
0: okay. Dan Savage, thank you so much for being online.. Uh, that was Dan Savage from the Savage Love Podcast. Hey, LiveWire's brought to you in part by Laughing Planet Cafe, sourcing local ingredients, recycling and composting to keep the planet happy because we've all seen the earth when she's grumpy and it is not pretty. More information at laughingplanetcafe.com. Now with his take on getting smart, please welcome the author of The Cheap Seats and the Sliding Glass Door, poet Scott Poole with Reflections by the Pool.
6: In the theme of getting smart, I wrote a love poem. It's called, Why I Love My Garage Door Opener. (laughs) I don't know if this is a cure for dumbness, but I decided to grow corn, rows of it, in my garage. I dug up the floor, hung special lights, and slipped in a nature iPhone shuffle of crickets. And I painted the ceiling black, and I stuck it with fluorescent stars. And then I felt smart, lying in between the rows, dreaming of Kansas. But then the cricket track slipped over to the whale playlist. (laughs) And when I heard that sub-ocean groaning, I felt dumb again under all that noisy grace. But whales, I thought, might dream of corn, and that made me feel smart again and outrageously happy. For hours, I opened and closed, opened and closed, opened and closed the garage door, believing I was behind the eye of a great intelligent beast. This is called Who'd Be That Stupid? (laughs) It was summer in the 1970s. Dudes wore tight shorts over sweats like half-assed superheroes trying to look like Rocky with a mullet. Everything smelled like new development hot bark dust and you could never get those little brown slivers out of your hands. There was always somebody's cousin who would swing nunchucks in the driveway if you asked and when we weren't having pine cone fights, we were ripping the skin from our bodies by crashing our bikes into each other. Every day I got hit with a baseball in the nuts and we drank warm strawberry Shasta pop all summer. There was duck crap everywhere and a set of dead cow bones in the woods and once I saw a couple of teenagers making out while I hid in the top of an enormous oak. I swam so much in the postage stamp sized development pool that my eyes closed shut on fire with chlorine and I was so blind I ran my banana seat bicycle into a bridge and fell in a pond. (laughs) I could still taste the algae on my lips. I could still see the robot eye of my Steve Austin doll staring at me. From a Doberman's mouth, like a message from the future. Nobody wore seatbelts or helmets or sunscreen. We were all burnt to nothing but a bunch of red, peeling, writhing, mosquito-bitten, knee-scraped, tube-sock-wearing, cul-de-sac kickballers with giant goodie combs in our back pockets. (laughs) I'd forgotten all that until the other day when we were driving by my old house and I saw a kid struggling to walk because his pants were cinched around his quads. I just started thinking, look at those stupid kids. Who the hell would be dumb enough to do that? And then I remembered when I stood in that very spot when I was 10 years old with Brad and Brian Sellers, and we all pulled our shorts down around our legs and tucked in our t-shirts to cover our asses, laughing at each other, saying, you look so stupid. That's the dumbest thing ever. Then Brad said, bet you won't lift your shirt at the next car. It could be the world's first reverse B.A., just think. Brad had a bit of showman in him. I guess I figured this was my golden sparkly moment to enter the rarefied air of the coolness pavilion of kiddom. So I lifted my shirt and flashed my small stupid butt at the next car coming down the rise. Now, I don't know why I didn't notice the make and model of the car. (laughs) But when the car screeched to a halt beside us, I recognized it then, and there was no mistaking the person who got out, my mother. (laughs) She's pointing her finger at me. At first, I thought it was a gun. She was shaking violently as if she were a tree and somebody was trying to knock peaches off of her. I didn't quite remember what she said, but I don't think she completed a sentence the rest of the day. You, now, get there, back, trouble, father, kill, car, kill. I wonder how long it took her to recognize my little puny rear end. Was it instantaneous? Did all those diaper changings, all those baths give her a sixth hiney sense where she could pick my butt out of a crowd from 100 yards away? Was it like radar, like Astar? Or was there just a brief moment when she merely thought, look at those stupid kids. Who the hell would be dumb enough to do that? Thank you.
0: That's Scott Poole with Reflections by the pool. Well, it has been a pretty eventful hour, I think we can all agree. I feel like I've learned a lot about getting smart. Certainly learned what probably not to do when hosting a public radio show. Jim Brunberg, what do you think you've learned in the last hour or so about getting smart?
2: <laughs> well, I'm still processing everything like like, like frozen yogurt. and uh... Yeah. That was troubling was a, for all of us. There was a lot of banana and frozen yogurt in that show. And...
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's just a uh, way homer.
0: So I'm going to
2: take it home with me and
0: talk right. about it there was, uh, there was a lot of uh, There was a lot of that stuff going on this hour. What about you, Andrew Harris? Did you pick anything up in the last hour?
2: Yeah, listening to Dan Savage, I, I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but my cat, after being out for a long time, she'll come home and she'll smell like someone else's house. You know, she'll smell like ba and, like, lavender fabric softener. And I know that she stayed at somebody's house, or at least went into their house. And it irks me, you know. But hearing Dan talk about monogamish, you know, she got that excitement of being in another house. And then, at the end of the day, she's, she's sleeping in my place. Yeah. She had to put one foot down sometime. Yeah. So
0: I feel bad. Wow. Better. Well, that's good. Thank you so much, everybody. One more time, please, put it together for Modern Kin on Live Wire.
3: Okay, this here is a love song.
0: That was Modern Kin right here on LiveWire, and that is our show. Our thanks to our guests, Dan Savage, Shane Torres, and Modern Kin. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Laughing Planet Cafe. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of LiveWire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is a producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom and Ben Landsberg. Jason Rouse is associate producer, part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone, guest writer Ben Coleman. Our house poet is Scott... Our performers are Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. Graham Nystrom is our technical director. House sound by Neil Blake. Stage management by Jillian Tabler. Special thanks tonight to Bob Goss, Sam Lowry, Deb Scott, Dorothy Triplett, and everybody here at Lincoln Hall at Portland State University. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Oregon Cultural Trust, Work for Art, the Oregon Community Foundation, and listeners like you find people for more information about the show or becoming a member of livewire visit livewireradio.org you can download our podcast on itunes stitcher or soundcloud and find us on twitter and facebook at livewire radio i'm luke burbank we'll see you next week pri public radio international